Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we have a minister from out in British Columbia. His name is Bill Booth, and he's from Trinity Memorial. So welcome, Bill. Thank you. So let's start with your academic experience after high school. Well, um, I have a, uh, immediately after high school, I attended the British Columbia Institute of Technology and have from there a diploma in technology and electronics. And that led me to a number of years of uh, working in uh, engineering in various ways. And around when I was 30, I completed a um, bachelor's of general studies and and then entered the seminary, Vancouver School of Theology, and took their three-year program to be preparation for ordained ministry in the United Church. Okay, so that's quite a a few changes in directions. It is indeed. So let's start with your jobs. What, What jobs have you had since high school? Well, uh, me, uh, well, my first sort of um, adventure, if you want to put it that way, was in uh, geophysics, mining ent- exploration. And um, for a couple of years in between uh, university and college and also for, you know, full time for a while, I would be sent out by my geophysics uh, friend, engineer, to go do um, surveys in the far north and in the interior of B.C., um, Northern Saskatchewan, uh, the territories, and all over Western Canada, um, stomping up and down hills with a pile of equipment on my back. And it certainly is a young man's occupation. <laughs> uh, and that's uh, led me to uh, my uh, going to the Technical Institute. And then after that, working in a number of different companies uh, in the 80s in electronics. I tended towards looking for jobs that were sort of cutting edge, doing research and development. Um, it took me a long time to realize that's not not necessarily where the secure work is. I'd get like a year and a half work or six months work and then the money would run out for that company and they would lay off the research people and just do the keep the production people. And eventually I got wise enough to get a work in, um, in a production role or customer service role. I was involved with the um, end of train units that replaced the cabooses in the train system, uh, um, providing service and training for the railway folks, and then moved on from there into uh, um, a control systems company that sold large control systems to pulp and paper um, machines, for pulp and paper machines, and and, um, worked in that for about six years. Uh, designing control systems for paper machines and uh, eventually then moved on, f- felt this call to ministry, uh, went and got the further education and uh, started in full-time ministry in 1999 and have been at three different churches. Um, this is my third church and I've been here nine years. Well, what's interesting about you is that you're not just a minister, you're a creative minister. So talk about some of the innovative things that you've introduced in the three churches that you've been in. 
Yeah, uh, thank you. Th th thank you for calling me a creative minister. I like to think of myself as a creative person. Um, I know that I'm not one to stand still. Um, and uh, in a good day, I have a thousand ideas and I have to throw 999 of them. <laughs> uh, and some things stick and some things don't. Um, in both my, in all three of my churches, I've started a uh, healing ministry um, uh, using a spiritual or energy healing um, in a different form in each time. And that's a part of my makeup, part of my spirituality. But also, um, I can talk most about what's got started here um, and uh, at my, this place I'm at now, Trinity Memorial in Abbotsford. I arrived and we did a lot of renovations in the building. Uh, you can sort of see some of the renovations at the front here. Uh, this was big, this was small and dark and um, not very useful when I first arrived. So we tore it all up, redid it. Same way with the big room that we had next door with visions of being able to use better space for the church to use, but also for the public to use. We connected the two floors. There's two buildings side by side. We connected it with a ramp and an entranceway. Um, built a new kitchen there. So there was all that sort of concrete stuff going on. Um, but uh, a couple years in, this is sort of the, I, I would like to think the most creative thing is we began what we called a, a spiritual center. Um, we worked hard and got this acronym for, that stand, is SPA, stands for Spiritual Pathway to Awakening. And um, in that center, which is located at the church but really we're trying to keep it separate from the church because we're trying to reach out to people that may not be comfortable coming into uh, a worship Sunday morning worship or even through the doors of the church so we provided spiritual nurturing programming uh, and that has defined pretty broadly uh, both in the building in the facility we've renovated but also out in the community like we did what's called a death cafe in, in a cafe. And that's where you just invite people to come and openly talk about uh, their experience of grief and death. Uh, because so much times in our society, we're told we're not allowed to talk about it. It's not socially appropriate. So give that sort of opportunity. And that's just one example. Spirituality of children. How do you nurture the spirituality and well-being of uh, our children? Um, we did a program on... Um, uh, Palestine and the relationship between Israel and Palestine and uh, the theological and sociological um, underpinnings to that uh, uh, relationship. Um, we got lots of people came to that, like 90 people came to that. Um, some people came in protest. <laughs> but uh, if... Um, there's a famous saying saying, um, uh, preach the gospel and expect opposition. And if you're not getting opposition, you may not be preaching the gospel. Um, so uh, I've always kept that in mind. So the spa is a pretty big initiative, but we've also done uh, um, a number of other things, um, trying to find partners. Um, uh, we're partnering with a social services agency right now. They're using our basement in fact, we've been having discussions this afternoon about encouraging people not to set up structures in our parking lot, because that will happen. <clears throat> but that's not, that limits what else we could do and impacts us. So we need them to move on so that we can continue doing the other work. Um, I guess uh, 
I guess I like to see myself as creative. Um, and beyond that, sort of the spa and the other thing is, is one of my passions is around um, a true connection to a creation. Um, so I teach a course on mysticism. Um, and again, that's through our spa, and that's been fairly well received, done it three or four times with a dozen people each time, or roughly between eight and a dozen. As is often the case in, I think, everything, you get, um, you know, 12 people sign up and seven come or eight come or nine come. So you always sort of have to target for 30% more than you can um, handle. So that's just some of the things. Um, so, uh, Bill, in terms of uh, the space that you have in the church, what percentage is used between 8.30 in the morning and 10 o'clock at night over the seven days? So if I was going to make that evaluation based uh, not on a pandemic year, <laughs> uh, because, of course, the pandemic year has changed everything, I would say it's... You know, on any given weekday, probably, uh, well, we got, th there's groups in the church using the church of some sort or other probably 40% of the time. And those groups are using between 20% uh, of the church and 90% and, and of the church. So for instance, on a Thursday evening, the scouting group comes and they fill the church. Um, but on uh, Monday evenings, there's an AA group that's just using one, one room. Um, the, the office is, um, uh, there's someone in the office uh, um, five days a week, right, for, uh, for you know, six hours a day. Um, so that's a portion of it. Uh, but really, the, there's still, like, there's that 40% capacity would probably be a reasonable estimate on a busy day. And that, I think that's... Uh, probably um, pretty good for many churches. <laughs> it is. It is. My experience, and I've been in a mosque and a Mennonite church, and they were using about 20% of their space. Yeah. Do you have any outside property? Uh, just, just the parking lot in the back. Okay. Um, the church sits on three lots, um, if you look at the city plan, and uh, there, the, the building course crosses all the boundaries of the lot, because um, in the 40s and 50s, they didn't worry about those sorts of things. Um, and uh, the city over the decades have sort of peeled away all three of the edges. Uh, so we don't have, we don't have enough parking, we rely on street parking. Um, one of the things happening is with development happening around us, um, 16 acres, just a block away, is being developed. Uh, um, there's a development straight across with uh, street from us with 60 units, another one planned for just down the road. Um, each time a development happens, they peel away a few park city street parking, right? So, um, and the largest one on that 16 acres. Um, we'll uh, actually we'll lose about 25 parking spots right beside us so it's a concern uh and if we had uh 
you know, another a city lot for parking, that would be wonderful, but that's just not the way it is. Okay. I want you to talk about the relationship between communities of faith and business. Yeah, it's um, a very good uh, thought. In the, in the distant past, um, churches had been a place where a lot of business people made contacts right, and, and connected and then found uh, partners in the, in the community and then they'd be in the relationship. The same people that were on the, in the church committees were also on the Chamber of Commerce and so on, right? They made those connections. Not so much in the past, partly I think because the church has made um, uh, talking about business a little bit of an uh, inappropriate conversation to have, right? And I think we've, we've lost something there. But... Uh, in our experience, we're in the Downtown Business Association. We're actually an uh, associate member of, um, and um, they're happy to know that we're here. They've used our facilities for some of their meetings. Um, they, we're, we're the only sort of uh, patch of green space, grass in the downtown. Um, the, the folks in downtown, uh, uh, look to us as sort of like the anchor building like they're trying to create a certain atmosphere some character in the in the downtown and we've got this historical building so it, it sort of if it was gone the whole character of downtown would be gone even though we don't think we have a lot of relationship where they're quite dependent on us to sort of set the atmosphere um, and beyond that there's also um a, a give and take we had we hosted the farmer's market uh, for, for 11, 12 years, I think. Um, they just recently moved to a park at the other end of downtown, like about um, three blocks away. But the Downtown Business Association, I think they feel they've got a stronger relationship with us than we think we have with them, <laughs> if that makes some sense. That, uh, and certainly, um, we know that for the downtown businesses, the cafes and restaurants that are open on Sundays, we're bringing, you know, 120 folks in on a Sunday morning, and a certain percentage of them wander up and go to the local cafes or restaurants after church, right? We're bringing business into town. Um, there's one cafe particularly where we had our, uh, our book study after church every Sunday and up until the pandemic, and um, they opened an hour and a half earlier than they would normally because they knew we were coming. Because if we're bringing 15 to 20 people, it makes it worth their while to open, right? Um, and um, they can pay their staff and so on. So when you slow down and think about it, there's all sorts of interactions that are happening and uh, a symbiotic relationship that we don't really nurture, but it is certainly there. Okay. Let's, let's turn to communities of faith. Do you go to mosques, synagogues, temples? Does your parish or your church members go to those? And vice versa, do you invite them to come to your services or meet and discuss what they want to talk about? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, we, as some of our members and myself, uh, make a point of going to the open house at the uh, Islamic Learning Center, 
they're not quite big enough to call themselves a mosque, but uh, um, they've grown because of the Syrian refugee um, from a few refugees from a few years ago. Um, and uh, I have a good sort of uh, um, uh, recognizing recognizing relationship, if I can call it that, with the Ayman, um, because um, he wouldn't recognize me, I would recognize him. Um, and uh, there is no Jewish community in Abbotsford, or not enough to be able to establish a, an institution. Uh, we have a large Sikh um, population. There's a number of our folks, and myself occasionally, that are uh, quite involved in the interfaith group, which is um, uh, sort of uh, led by a Baha'i minister. And they have uh, two or three of our people are sort of uh, uh, leaders in that organization although it's kind of loose organization. But um, so there's Sikh communities involved in that, the Muslim community, the Baha'is, of course, uh, and then a number of different churches, denominations. Um, at uh, joining them for their worship, that's an interesting challenge <laughs> because I'm sure they would be as welcoming uh, to our folks as, uh, as we would be to them to just, uh, you know, make those bridges, establish those relationships. Uh, we, uh, through the interfaith, um, actively supported the um, sponsoring of two refugee families from Syria during that stretch. And actually, uh, because there was a number of churches, uh, the mosque or the learning center, um, and, uh, the, uh, and one of the temples, Sikh temples involved, we actually were able to raise twice the money we needed to and able to hand over some of that money to the community services that it's number of families they're sponsoring sponsoring and and the resources right it was just beautiful to see all the resources we had a doctor who volunteered their services there was a dentist who volunteers the service there was someone that taught the folks to drive there you know and um and then the you know someone organized a fundraiser and they came from all the different institutions so that was quite um refreshing and rewarding, right, to see that coming together. So attending their actual worship services, it's a great idea. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, I can't see it from uh, the, the video of your church. Do you have pews in your church? We do. Um, we have uh, two long rows of, of, of pews. Um, we can sit about... Oh, just under 200 in the pews, and then we add chairs when needed. Um, but yeah, the long padded pews that have been there since the 60s, and people are attached to them. <laughs> have you thought of uh, some, some of the uh, communities of faith now are removing those and placing them with chairs on wheels so they can reconfigure their, yeah. their area? We've had we've had those discussions in the past, particularly when we were renovating the front here, and um, there are th there's sort of three groups. The one group say let's do it because it gives us the flexibility for for doing creative things, um, and I might include myself in that group. The second group the the second group might be those who absolutely not. It's not church without pews. Um, and then the third group who uh, just wants everybody to be um, content and happy so they don't want to rock the boat. 
and I'd say most of our people are in that third group. I um, I haven't pushed that as an initiative, partly because of the uh, format of our sanctuary. It is um, 30, let's see, let me do an estimate. Yeah, about uh, 28 feet wide and about 80 feet deep. So it's long and narrow. So you lose some of the advantages you have if you're doing chairs. The, the space isn't flexible enough to take a full benefit of chairs. Um, but I do like the chair idea because sometimes I would want to move the focus of what we're doing into the center or actually being able to um, add or change seating or make the space more uh, flexible for um, maybe community events, right? Concerts and whatnot. So, Have you rented out the sanctuary? That, uh, uh, that has uh, rarely happened. Um, and yes, part of that... You is, have a beautiful place and uh, yeah, various that, groups could use it for a, uh, all kinds of reasons. It could be a conference, it could be an event. Yeah, so part of the reason it hasn't been is because... Um, we have 15,000 square feet uh, and three rooms that are each around 13 to 1400 square feet. So, and the two rooms, when we, when we renovated them up top, we opened up the wall between them with three sets of double doors. So in fact, they could be opened up to the degree that they could be used as one big room. And um, so when we have had groups looking for that kind of space, they generally, I like that space. Partly there's a kitchen there. The bathrooms are right there. Um, the entrance is, is uh, right, you know, e easy access entrance. So um, it hasn't been rolled over. I've been waiting for years for the movie company people to come and say, we want to do a wedding in your church, and then we can charge them a great deal of money. But nobody's done that yet. <laughs> so final question, three years from today, what will your community of faith look like? Will it materially change, little change, or not changed at all? Uh, so from my perspective, um, I would like to see uh, a fairly material change, significant change, partly with the ramping up and increasing the activities of the, the spiritual center, partly with using the two big rooms I just mentioned as uh, and promote them to the community as a conference space. Um, it's got most of the features it needs for that, but also um, the, 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 a church, a congregation always is turning over. And in any given three year period, um, you know, 15 to 20% of the people could be gone and be replaced. Um, not necessarily, and uh, meaning that the, and that changes the character of the community to a certain degree. I would like to see us um, connect with our new neighbors. As I said, there's uh, 16 acres being developed down the, you know, a block away. There's, um, I think I've added it up at one point, including those units being in, in and what's happened in the last um, year and a half. And what's planned for the next few years, probably three years, there's around 4,000 
uh, units being built within walking distance of the church. So that's going to change our neighborhood. And if our neighborhood changes, we, we will too. And we'll become more of a neighborhood church where people walk to. So uh, that's what I think is where our future is. And uh, we have to actually reach out to those people and say, here, we're your neighborhood church. We're your neighborhood community place. This is where you can gather and meet and connect with people. And um, my plans and hopes is that we creatively engage those people as they move move in. Um, and probably one of our one of our tasks will be actually to connect with uh, the developers and get them to put us on the list of activities and programs and advantages of living in the neighborhood. Um, and uh, the development happens in a stop and go please. You get everything set up, they put a sign, they make a nice picture of what they're gonna build and then nothing happens for a few years, right? And then suddenly they're breaking ground. Um, and that's what the case is for this 16 acres, which I think it's, it's they're talking about um, 1,200 units of, of, of condos and townhouses. You know, that's a lot of people. That's a, that's a significant village. <laughs> um, and so I've talked to my people at times and said, look, if only 5% of those people that are lived in, in moving into our neighborhood, attend our church or our functions or our activities or our programs. Well, you know that that's we're, we're talking like sixty or seventy or eighty people. Right? So uh, I try to put that in thing, and it's because the world's changing all around us. What about outreach, Bill? Uh, rather than them coming to you, could you turn it around and go to them? We could, um, and that would be things like doing things in um, the, the cafes, like doing, you know, partnering with the Downtown Business Association and, and uh, doing programming in some of the uh, businesses, uh, as well as, um, you know, there was one idea that came up in the conference that both you and I were participating in that I thought was brilliant, where someone uh, did a children's vacation program but instead of doing it on their location they went out to the neighborhood and did it in the in the grassy knoll or grass in front of the complex and they just did it for a few years i thought that was brilliant um uh we could uh, certainly get outside our walls and certainly this pandemic year of the last 12 months have taught us some of that we've been having outside meetings in the local park that just grew up organically uh, and as well as, you know, the more traditional outreach of, of partnering with an institution of being able to provide support for homeless folks and, and other programs like that, right? Um, that's been opened up. Um, okay, final question. Okay. How much of what you've been doing online will continue once the church reopens? Yes, uh, our full intention, one way or the other, is to uh, continue doing the, the Sunday morning worship online. Uh, our intention is some of our uh, organizational meetings, like our board meetings, um, we will 
link, do an online portion of it too, so people who can come can come, but we'll always have it up on screen. Uh, we recently, you know, did the a nomination for new board members, and we intentionally picked some people who we knew were capable, but they weren't people that could uh, get out and about very easily. A woman that uh, uses a scooter, right? Well, she's not coming out at, in January at seven o'clock in the evening on her scooter. So, but she's a capable and great person to have on the board. So we'll continue that. Some of our study sessions will continue offering. Uh, I do a weekly uh, video um, blog um, on onto YouTube, and um, also post our Sunday worship on YouTube. So that'll continue as well. Um, so recognizing that, in fact, um, the boundaries to whom we are in our community is really broken open. So we have people from Ontario coming in and, and to our Sunday worship or looking at the, the video reflections. And, um, you know, so much of our culture and society is about people having the sort of the freedom to go where they want, particularly with the internet and all that's online. So um, this has forced us as a church to actually catch up. <laughs> And we got a ways to go, but we've caught up. So a lot of what we're doing will continue. So a final uh, question. How do people, what is, what is the uh, address, the website address of your church? Uh, it is, let me just bring it up so I can make sure I say the right thing here. It is. Uh, Trinity Trinity Memorial UC.com. So our name of our church, Trinity Memorial UC for United Church.com. And there are many Trinity Memorials in the world. So if you're searching it for, on Google or one of your search engines, you got to go Trinity Memorial Abbotsford. <laughs> but Trinity Memorial UC.com. Okay. Well, look, thank you for your time today. And, uh, I will provide the uh, the result of this later uh, tomorrow. Thank you very much, uh, Peter.